Blog Talk Radio. Presenting yourselves on this battlefield. I give you thanks. This is our army. To join it, you give homage. I give homage to Scotland. And if this is your army, why does it go? We didn't come here to fight for them. Oh! The English are too many.
for the rest of the hour to lay out his incredibly important report that has all the statistics, all the numbers. And he's just taking what the insurance companies and what governments are admitting and what they're showing and then extrapolating it out because now we're a year into this operation, almost a year and a half in the UK, so we're getting very hard numbers now, real science. But they don't want you to look at it. They just use the term science, science, like a parrot, hoping you don't actually go look at the science. Uh, Mike Adams, thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Alex, for having me on again. It's, it's great to be back in studio with you after quite a, quite a while that I wasn't here. Um, if you look at the numbers that are emerging, it's now crystal clear that we have less time remaining than what we thought. And this explains why Biden and the other vaccine pushers around the world, they don't care about the legal challenges because they know they can tie this up in the courts for several years. What I'm going to present here today explains we have less than a year remaining or we lose human civilization. This is an extinction level event that if we don't stop these vaccines, it will play out over the next decade to bring down civilization as we know it. That's why Dr. Robert Malone calls, calls this a mass casualty event that we are living through right now. And Mike Eden, former VP of Pfizer, even saying essentially this is mass murder. We have to stop this, but here, here are the statistics. If you go to ourworldindata.org and you look at the number of vaccines being given per day, it's about 30 million per day around the world. Now, based on the numbers from the life insurance companies, the myocarditis, the autoimmune disorders, the autopsies published by uh, Dr. Bakhti and Burkhart and others, we've been able to estimate now based on these new data. And by the way, remember the life insurance data is from the third quarter of last year. It's going to look a lot worse than a 40% increase by the time we get the fourth quarter data from last year. When we put all this together, we can see we're going to have, of those who are vaccinated, about one-third will die over the next decade or so. Another third will be debilitated, injured, and perhaps not capable of functioning in society in a meaningful way. The final third will be unharmed, um, perhaps because they receive saline solution shots. So we're, we're looking at right now, Alex, if we stop the vaccines right now, we're going to lose about 1.4 billion people around the world over the next decade. And, 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 and I'm literally having an anxiety attack right now because these numbers are in. This has happened. Like these are real it. numbers. They did it. it well, and look, mm. let, me, let me explain this. Mm. Ten, 30 million shots a day, okay? 10 million of those 30 million per day will die over the next decade or so based on what we know now. Again, these are... These are uh, projections, they're subject to some level of change. And I'll tell you why I'm really upset, Mike, and I want you to continue. Yes. It's bad enough that they're killing all these people. Now they're doing it to children. But they're, they're going to do something huge after this. They're not going to leave those of us that didn't take it alone. This, right. means this means total war. Well, I'm, I'm going to get to that. You're exactly right. But, but look, 10 million people per day, folks, that means there is a Nazi-level Holocaust mass death event Start over. I interrupted them horrible. I'm sorry. Okay. Start over with where you were when I interrupted that. If you have the numbers on the current extrapolation, when do we reach the 10 million a day point? They're doing it right now. Every day it's 10 million people who will die over the next decade. Every day. So what they're pulling off is a, a, a Nazi-level Holocaust every 14.4 hours, Alex. They're, they're, they're carrying out a Holocaust every 14.4 hours. A soft kill. I mean, it's here. They always said they do it with shots. Right. right. So understand, people, understand that if we don't stop these vaccines in the next 365 days, they will murder another 3.5 billion human beings. And combined with the roughly 
coming up on 1.5 billion that they've already condemned to death, that's going to be over 50% of the population on planet Earth. This is an extinction level event if we don't stop it. And now you know why Prince Charles, whose father said he wants to come back as a deadly virus for 80% of the world, said this is a military mobilization to make you take shots to save the Earth. So they're being very honest about what they're actually doing. I mean, they are, quote, saving the Earth by giving people soft kill weapons that as your family members get sick and die, they'll then suck all the money and energy out of you and your generational wealth while they kill you. Well, well, exactly. And understand that they, they cannot allow this event to be blamed on vaccines, blamed on policies. So this means that, as you have predicted numerous times, Alex, they're going to have to unleash some other global killer event in order to cover their tracks. So yes, something epic, something biblical is coming. Something satanic is coming, I should That's say. right. That's right. I mean, as a father, every instinct I've got is to go to the most remote area now and hunger down. Guaranteed this is going down, folks. But we're going to stay at the ship to warn as many people as we can, as long as we can. But all people understand, we're not hyping this. You are living through biblical times. And, and understand that it's too late to save already $1.5 billion. It's too late. Because we don't, we don't know how, there's no way to reverse the damage. If you look at the autopsies that Dr. Bakhti and Burkhardt, they published their paper on, 93% of people who died after receiving vaccines were killed by the vaccines. So if you look at the daily deaths in America right now, 7,700 people die every day normally pre-COVID. You start to look at the fact that we're going to have multiples of that dying each day in 2022, dying from cancer, dying from neurological disorders, dying from heart attacks, organ destruction because of the killer lymphocytes. We're going to see multiples of the normal death rate per day. And we're hearing that from coroners around the world, pathologists. We're hearing it from undertakers. We're hearing it from the big labs around the world, including the U.S., that do biopsies. And they go, we're seeing 20-fold increases in cancer. That's right. That's right. And, and I mean, just, just a three-fold increase in the daily death rate would put us at about 24,000 deaths per day in America 24,000 deaths per day. You start to get into percentages of the existing U.S. population. And, Mike, I think today's the day. I'm going to talk about some personal family stuff here on there. People need to hear this, but just how bad this is. You, know, you heard about the North and the South, the war, brother against brother, yeah. father against, you know, brother, uh, all of it. We're going to talk about it all today. But I, I interrupted. That was too important. You said when we come back, please we'll repeat everything you said without me interrupting because this is the most important information we've ever covered. I want this to really sink in for people. It's done. They already killed us. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Adams is here of naturalnews.com. I'm Alex Jones with infowars.com. And I know you understand this, but we don't make stuff up. We get things wrong occasionally, and, and usually we underestimate how bad something is. And we know historically when populations get hit by something really incredibly evil, they at first don't figure out it's happening because evil doesn't come back the same way each time. It'll hit you from other angles. But this is a modern deindustrialization, depopulation, collapse event in their own words. And that's why Dr. Rima Labo, on record, treated heads of state, including Hillary Clinton and including um, Angela Merkel and also the Queen of the Netherlands. Now, in confidence, I'm not allowed to say who told them what. But she told me the names, and I made some checks and actually found some open source data where this person had actually made the comment publicly. 
But she was treating it out of state, and then the woman said the mask calling is coming in the next three years. They put it off, but now it's here. That's how you watch that clip from 2009, and it's like it all happened today. Because they, and her husband was the former head of the Army, okay? General Stubblebine, a three-star general, ran special operations, everything. So he came on the show and talked about this, too. So they thought it was going to happen then. They ran down to Costa Rica. I'm going to hand this over to Mike Adams. Recap what you said earlier about the global alert. Start over without me interrupting. Well, okay. And, and by the way, I've, I've got about a one-minute clip I brought. Give it to your producers to show at some point here because uh, I, was, I was interviewing your talent, Harrison, Harrison Smith, the other day. And he was saying that, that he, he used to listen to me. And he was like, I was kind of the person who helped wake him up in addition to you and your information. I was like, Harrison, I mean, Alex is the person that woke me up. And this clip shows a speech I gave in 2019 before COVID where we're talking about the exotic alien biological weapons that are about to be unleashed against humanity. So I want to give you credit for all the work that you've done and let you know that your knowledge and what you're doing here at InfoWars really influenced me with my research. And I hope, I hope at some point today we can play that. But well, let's play it right now then, and then next time you can recap. Go ahead, guys. Okay. Get a here it is. So here's the most likely hard kill vector that could be coming. An exotic alien engineered biological weapon that specifically targets human DNA. And you might think, well, they would never do that. <laughs> Uh, guess what? DARPA has been doing it. It's called gene drive technology. They've been working on it. And it's, it's a CRISPR gene editing technology. And it enables genetic modifications to spread very rapidly through the population. They also have something called RNA interference technology where they can genetically engineer food crops so that there are little protein fragments in the crops. And the protein fragments can target fertility of specific human races. And this is called an insecticide. They use it. They've been developing this so that they can kill, you know, certain insects that feed on certain crops. They can also do it to humans. RNA interference technology, it exists. Genetic weapon of mass destruction may not be far away. Bioengineered Ebola is a strong candidate for this. It's being developed, funded by the NIH. I'm sorry, funded by the TMT. The NIH funded a different experiment in Guatemala that used Guatemalan prisoners as human subjects. In fact, when that came out during the Obama administration, Obama himself had to apologize because they got caught. So it's not just the mercury in the vaccines. It's not just the lead that's going to be falling out of the sky. It's the infant formula. It's the aluminum, which causes Alzheimer's and dementia. It's the organophosphates. It's the 5G networks. It's the assault on your senses, the assault on your neurology, the assault on your children. These are multiple kill vectors. And this is what we are being hit with right now. I had not seen that clip. I read your article saying that. That is months before they released the bioweapon. You specifically hit the protein prion crystals in the food. You specifically hit that it's alien because it's never existed before. This is alien. And I, I, I do believe, I don't do that extrapolation. I can just go the next step. This whole attack isn't human. Exactly right, and that's, that's why this is an extinction-level event. So what I talked about at that event, which was Steve Quayle's event, by the way, in Branson, Missouri, in 2019, was that Earth is being prepared for a post-human future. Now, at the time, that sounded pretty far out there. And they say that everywhere, though. Now, now, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, after COVID, oh, the end of humanity, looking forward. Exactly, exactly. So 
you, you have to ask what we're seeing right now with the kill rates. And, and, and by the way, you know, big thumbs up to Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Robert Malone and Steve Kirsch and all these amazing people who have come out. However, there's only so far that, that they can talk about. Well, well that's and, right. Behind the scenes, they, they agree with what you just said. And you saw, you saw Malone say it's interdimensional.
Costs associated with growing red blood cells, if completely successful, the program would have greatly increased access to transfusable blood for soldiers and hospitals around the world and reduced the risk of disease transmission during a transfusion. The program was successful in decreasing the cost of synthetic blood from over 90,000 down to under 5,000 per unit, 2013 press release stated, but new information has not been released since, and the program was not listed in recent budget documents. The UN Super Patriot, I talk about it all the time. If you guys think it's a joke, it's not. We'll be fighting against them. Don't worry. Unmanned aerial vehicles may be all the rage, but they're clunky and require people to design and assemble every piece. What if there was a way to piggyback sensors on flying creatures for free? DARPA spy bugs were part of 2006 project. Folks, 20 years earlier, they had remote control cockroaches. Okay? Just want to let you know that. They wanted to implant transmitters and insects to use them for surveillance. The hybrid insect micro-electromechanical systems program was run by teams from the University of Michigan and Cornell University. Within a few years, researchers have developed interfaces capable of controlling insects' actions, and if plain old spy bugs weren't enough, the insects eventually received nuclear power as well. In 2009, minus 20 years, Cornell engineers revealed a prototype of radioactively powered transmitter for the cyborg insects, nickel-23 isotypes, would provide ample power to the sensor transmitters the bugs might carry while remaining harmless to humans. Yeah, sure. Brain implants for PTSD. Hey, guys, this is up our alley here. Veterans out there, hey. DARPA doesn't just focus on cool gadgets for fighting wars. The agency also funds research on solutions for the negative effects war can have on soldiers. The systems-based neurotechnological for emerging therapies program is tasked with creating an implanted, closed-loop diagnostic therapeutic system for treating and possibly curing curing neuropsychiatric illness, according to to a DARPA press release. Basically, the program wants to make a brain implant that will help soldiers struggling with PTSD, traumatic brain injuries, anxiety, substance abuse, and more. Because of the ramification of such device subnets, has special ethics experts to help them create a safe piece of neurological neurological, uh, bullcrap. Robotic infantry infantry mules. Here we go. They had this out in Vietnam. Remember a guy told me he was was in Vietnam. He was on patrol. uh, They stumbled across uh, uh, an enemy. They went across enemy lines they weren't supposed to for some reason. I forgot. I don't know. This is a long time ago. Back, jeez, I don't know. 25 years ago, this guy was telling me this. He said, man, he saw this thing come down like a light, like a big light in the jungle, and it, like, vaporized, like, 100 yards in a complete circle of jungle and leveled it. And and then it, like, was doing, like, test samples of soil or whatever, and then it just boop, went back up in the sky and connected to some kind of bomber, U.S. bomber, and then poop, took off. So this is a guy from the Viet- Vietnam who said he saw this. He had no reason to lie. I mean, he wasn't trying to showboat or anything like that. And we've heard crazy stuff like that. Where do you think that movie Predator came from? Huh? Hollywood always lets you know what's going to happen before it happens. But anyway, all right, nuke-propelled spaceship. What's up with that, huh? DARPA also invests in researching space travel. Project Oron is a program from 1958 intended to research a new means of spaceship propulsion. This hypothetical model of propulsion relied on nuclear bomb detonations to power a craft forward and was supposedly capable of hitting astonishing speeds. Astonishing speeds. I mean, that's crazy, man. Test ban treaty of 1963, though, outlawed detonations of nuclear weapons in our space. 
project was dropped. Yeah, right. They're still doing it. Mechanical elephants. In the 1960s, DARPA began researching vehicles that would enable troops and equipment to move more freely in the dense terrain of Vietnam. Yeah, I was just talking about that, huh? Following the footsteps of Hannibal before them, DARPA research decided that elephants could be the right tool for the job. They began one of the most infamous projects in DARPA history, the quest for mechanical elephant. The end result would be a capable of transporting heavy loads with servo-actuated legs. Uh, when the director of DARPA heard of the project, he immediately shut it down, hoping that Congress wouldn't hear of it and cut the agency's funding, according to New Scientist. Let's, let me click on that there. Let's see, New Scientist. There we go. 50 years of DARPA hits miss and ones to watch. All right, successful projects. Let's see there. Did they keep that one up or not? The Internet, precisely who invented the mass of linked computers networks that is today Internet, is a moot point, but it wouldn't have happened. Without the uh, Air Panic Network built by DARPA in the 1960s, the idea was to make a self-healing communication network that still worked when parts of it were destroyed. <laughs> Interesting. GPS. It wouldn't be quite literally lost without, lost today without today's global positioning system. Remember life without GPS, folks? Are you old enough to remember that? But long before the current Navstar GPS satellites were launched came constellation of just five DARPA satellites called Transit. First operational in 1960, they gave the U.S. Navy ships hourly location fixes as accurate as 200 meters. Speech translation, although not available to consumers, handheld language translation devices. I remember hearing about those when I was a kid. I remember you talking to a device and it translates your speech. <laughs> although accuracy could be as low as 50%, the devices have met with favorable renewals for forces on the ground. Stealth planes is probably the best example of DARPA fulfilling its remit to come up with surprise technology. Even the U.S. Air Force was surprised by the idea the first prototype, Half Blue, was tested in the late 1970s and became the precursor to the F-117 Nighthawk stealth fighter. And let me get to, to that one right there. Let's see that, Half Blue. All right, Half Blue. It's a Lockheed Half Blue. Lockheed. Everybody heard of Lockheed? Oh, yeah. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what that's up with that. Lockheed was the code name for Lockheed's proof-of-concept demonstrator for a stealth bomber. Have Blue was designed by Lockheed Skunk Works Division and tested in Groom Lake, Nevada. The Have Blue was the first fixed-wing aircraft whose external shape electromagnetic waves in directions other than that of the originating radar a meter greater, reducing its, its uh, radar cross-section. To design the aircraft, the Skunk Works design team leveraged the uh, mathematics published by Soviet physicist and mathematician Petra Yufasetev <laughs> regarding the reflection of electromagnetic waves. Wow. <clears throat> crazy stuff, man. Crazy stuff, guys. This is just crazy. It's insanity. Well, let's talk about today and now, the COVID. Everybody's dying from COVID, right? Well, about this data. The COVID stat, uh, stats data, about this data, it changes rapidly, may differ from by location. This data changes rapidly and might not reflect some cases still being reported. Some areas may not have data because they haven't published the data or haven't done so recently because data availability differs by location. Data ranges for 14-day data may start on different dates. It includes confirmed and probable cases. Total counts include both confirmed and probable cases in some locations. Probable cases are identified by public health officials and use criteria developed by government authorities. <laughs> it shows positive tests which differ from positive cases. There you got positive cases, positive tests, 
You died from COVID? No, you died from a heart attack. It's all bullcrap, folks. It's all nonsense. Don't buy into it, trust me. All right, let me get into this, by the way. How many people have died because of the world uh, COVID pandemic, really? How many people you think really have died? Really? Well, according, you know, estimated global excess, uh, excess deaths with 95% confidence interval, it says. You're looking at probably about 18.8 million. All right. Uh, that was updated as of January 5th. Official global global COVID-19 deaths is at 5.5 million. That's worldwide, folks. That's nothing. That's nothing in a population of 7 million people. That's nothing, all right? So, knock it off. Knock it off. Take the mask off. Stop. High-income countries, upper, middle, lower, middle, middle, low income, all right, 20, 2021's biggest stories were COVID-19 in America's presidential transition. Nah, well, I won't get into that. All right, let me get back here. Let's get to the mark of the beast, because that's what we're all interested in, right? The mark of the beast. I mean, uh, that's uh, what is the mark of the beast? Let's see. Let's get to that. Revelation, the mark of the beast. All right, here we go. Hang on, i got to shut this down. This, this right here, let's play this. Shut this down. Here we go. Speaking out, man. Uh, I'm not a bold speaker out, man. I just know what the plan is. And the time to speak right. up, frankly, for me, was about 2002. But I didn't do it. I was ignorant of a lot of As you guys say on your show, we need 80 million Americans who are yeah. taking action. And we also need you to be educated and empowered. And we've got to know the truth about election fraud, medical fraud, religious fraud, monetary fraud, media fraud, and how you can get involved. <laughs> Welcome to Flyover Conservative Podcast with David and Stacey Whited, where we break down current events and examine culture through the lens of conservative Christian values. Hello and welcome. We are so glad that you have joined us today. You know, our slogan at Flyover Conservatives is wake up, speak up, and show up. We all wanted President Trump to do 80 million things to save our country, and we here at Flyover are trying to inspire 80 million people to do one thing every single day to save their own country. And when you hear today's episode and the timeline and the things involved, you're going to realize it's, it's probably going to take 80 million of us yes. banding together to help make that happen. We have a resource that you're going to hear referenced throughout this show, but right now at the beginning, if you're listening on, on Apple or Podbean or, or anywhere, if you're watching, write down this number right away. Or you can text it right away. We created this timeline. It's going to go from 2002 to December 28th of 2021 mm-hmm. a lot of events but it's, it's lots of tracks we made this graphic and then there's gonna be a website of graphics and things that are going to come to you for free you just have to text 40509 text the word clay c-l-a-y to 40509 in the body of the text put the word word clay the number you text is 40509 the word clay to 40509 and this will come to you That's automatically exactly right you know we talked a lot about fauci today and so you can actually find cool merchandise at flyoverconservatives.com we have fauci for gitmo because we believe that that's where he belongs so if you go to flyoverconservatives.com you can check out the hats you can check out the t-shirts we also have wake up speak up and show up when 
of the show, a friend of ours, and a friend of America. If you're into saving America. That's true. If you like America, if you like freedom, if you're into truth, then uh, today's episode is becoming a little bit of an ongoing thing because the world is so crazy. It is. There's so much darkness out there that we couldn't get it all into one show. No, and we got to shed light on it. we got to shed light on it. That's what we're doing today. So today, from the Thrive Time Show, Tulsa, Oklahoma, entrepreneur and, 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 a, and a, a true patriot. That's for sure. Clay Clark. Saving America. Welcome, Clay. Yay! Hey, I appreciate you guys allowing me to be here and, and putting up with the – everybody out there who doesn't know, uh, we are dealing with some technological – uh, uh, I don't know, technological interference. It made this interview tough to put together, but we pushed through the pain, and here we are. Yes, and that is exactly right. There's a blizzard, there's cold, there's all kinds of things going on, and, and you know what? You know, like damn the torpedoes and all that stuff. It's like we're going to forge ahead <laughs> and, and make this happen. Because, you know, all, this is an important topic. All, all jokes aside, because, you know, we are all, like, positive we're going to figure this stuff out. But you have some information that we actually talked offline about last week that is so mind-blowing, and the way you sequence it together, like, cracks the code, I think, for people's thinking in a way that I don't hear anybody, not Joe Rogan, not, not the yeah. stuff he's doing. There's nothing out there that ties this sequence of, of events together in a way that makes it really clear. Well, this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go through a, a timeline, um, and it just so people are clear, I've talked to uh, uh, generals, scientists, doctors, lawyers, constitutional experts, and every time I've gone over this with them, they go, I had no idea. So yeah. I'm going to assume yeah. is everybody doesn't know what we're talking about. What's the number of people who can text in to get the graphic? Yes. You guys made a really great infographic for today's show. What number that we, what other people can follow along with us? Yeah, because, well, we, because we've got a John Madden kind of, a, 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 you know, put the, there's, a, there's a movie they had when I was about seven called Thief in the Night. They oh showed my gosh, it in churches so and all scary. this stuff, and, you know, there's a husband shaving and his electric shavers in the sink, all this kind of stuff, and all their friends turned on him and they're chasing him, and everybody's getting these tattoos with the number 666 tattooed on their head, that mm-hmm. kind of a mark. And you know what? It's hard when you grow up in the church sometimes to separate the flannel graphs and the Sunday school stuff and the movies from actually right. the Bible. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's interesting, too, with that movie because when you're little and you see it, you know, if you couldn't find your parents or you couldn't find your oh. siblings, you'd be like, you thought they were taken and you were still there. You know, the rapture because came to your life. Because that movie I used in my heart about 11,000 times by the time I was like 12, you know, every day. <laughs> now, <laughs> so here's the deal. Scared me. So I want everyone, me I'm going to make this all clear. So what it might have sounded blurry or ambiguous, I'm going to make it very clear. I want to give people additional Bible reading you can jot down, folks, if you're listening at home, okay? You can also write down Matthew chapter 24. Um, you can also write down... Daniel chapter 7, verses uh, 25 through 26. You can also write down Daniel chapter 11, verse 3. These are all, these are all things I'm just trying to talk. I talked to, uh, on the Reawaken America tour, we have some of the world's best theologians, doctors, lawyers, doctors, scientists, gurus, and then Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. Okay, so here we go. So now here's the timeline. How, how is this possible? How is this going to, how is the Bible going to actually, the prophetic Bible, come into uh, our reality? All right, here we go. So 2002, the Centers for Disease Control filed for a patent, 727-9327. And that's not the number to text into. That's the number to uh, the patent number. <laughs> 727-9327. And it's a patent for a replication coronavirus that attacks human lung cells filed on April 19, 2002. What, what I'm saying is the Centers for Disease Control actually patented the coronavirus transmissible to humans. Now, in 2002. 2002. Now, yeah. your son, Colton, who does all the production for this show, by the way, any, folks, anytime you see production, you got 
Avery and Colton, the graphic design, and they're just <laughs> phenomenal. The, the thumbnails, Avery does that. The production, Colton does it. It takes a whole team to make yep. what you're seeing today. And uh, Colton is a, kind of a technological wizard. Uh, uh, he, he's kind of like a utility player. You, you can figure out all, all this technology. It's awesome. And, and whenever you get around a lot of technological people, they sometimes invent stuff. They might come up with a new show intro or a new approach or a new idea. Imagine you had an innovative person, not, not your son, not your daughter, but somebody, and they showed up and they said, I have a new invention. And Dave, you say, what's the invention? And I yeah, say, this is a new coronavirus transmissible to humans. I've made my own bioweapon. I've increased the transmissibility of a pathogen to the point where it can now kill a human. Let me repeat. I took an actual naturally occurring virus from a mouse or a bat, and I increased the transmissibility of a pathogen to the point where it can kill humans. That is scary. No. That's not what you want to hear, but this was no. patented by who? The Centers for Disease Control. When? 2002. Where can I see the timeline? If you go to time2freeamerica.com forward slash revelation, you can go there. Time2freeamerica.com forward slash revelation. You can click the patent, read it yourself. Okay, so 2010. Here we are. 2010. Where were you in 2010? Where was I in 2010? In 2010, I was uh, 22, 12 years ago, so I would have been 28 years old. I just sold djconnection.com. I was probably watching Billy Madison for the 47th time. I was not thinking about these topics. I was probably enjoying a hot tub somewhere. Okay, 2010. The Rockefeller Plan, a.k.a. the Fourth Industrial Revolution, a.k.a. the Great Reset Plan, was written. Now, again, I don't want anyone to get lost in this. The Rockefeller Plan is also called the Great Reset, which is also called the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which is a book written by Klaus Schwab, and in 2010 – this was written known as the Rockefeller Plan. I'm going to read you an excerpt from page 16, which says, it's crazy. A world of tighter top-down government control and more authoritarian leadership is needed. Page 16 said, said no, no, no one on this show ever. No. What? So including quarantines, curfews, lockdowns, and forced vaccination. The actual words from the document, page 16. A world of tighter, top-down government control and more authoritarian leadership, 2010. Now, folks, remember, the devil is diligent. What I'm talking about, there are some serious, nefarious, diligent people. People say, Clay, this Reawaken America tour, you guys are relentless with it. No, 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 no. I'm passionate. I'm pursuing this. I know God has called the flyover conservative nation. I know God has called every American to get involved. I could not agree more with your idea that 80 million Americans need to do one thing. I agree with all of it. But we have just got into the fight. I'm not calling out you. I'm not calling your listeners. I'm calling out myself. I just got into this fight basically 24 months ago. Mm-hmm. These people in 2002, the coronavirus, yeah. Yeah. transmissible to humans. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to upset a prophet. It's going to upset a pastor. It's going to upset somebody, not you, but somebody out there is going to get very upset. Because people say to me all the time, they say, Boy, I feel like the devil's accelerating his plan. And I'm not disagreeing, but I'm telling you, they sat down in 2002 and made this plan to be released right now. Mm-hmm. This, they're following the actual plan. Even if Trump wasn't in office, if Hillary Clinton was in office, they still would have done this because the Rockefeller plan, which was written in 2010, said 2020, we're doing it. And that is something we need to understand is they're diligently implementing a plan that is nefarious and demonic, and it had to have been done. They had to have a plan. You, whenever you have a business idea, you start with a big idea, 
Yep. So the big idea is we wanted to do a Reawaken America tour in Phoenix, and we wanted anybody who used the promo code FLYOVER to be able to go to your meet and greet for free. Mm-hmm. We wanted to have a, a packed-out event. We wanted to have Charlie Kirk there. We wanted Eric Trump there. We wanted Mike Lindell there. We wanted to share the truth about election fraud, medical fraud, religious fraud. We wanted to be super affordable where you can name your price. And I had to actually, step one, book a venue. Step two, we had to tell the world about it. Uh, step three, you've got to sell tickets. Now we're down to our final 300 tickets. But it's not just randomness. So then in January 2011, Dave, and I want to get your thoughts on this, yeah. the Harvard professor, Charles Lieber, he decided to patent a nanotechnology that allowed human cells to send and receive, to send and receive, to send and receive signals without your permission in 2011, meaning that I could right now, somebody right now, we get about, I get usually one ticket request every 30 seconds right now. And you find, when you head into the final week of an event, that's what happens. A lot of people go, oh, my gosh, no, Eric Trump's coming. i got to get there. Mike Lindell, there's a certain urgency to it. But imagine that my show right now, if I had the sound turned on, where every time a ticket request came in, it would go ding, 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 ding. That's what Charles Lieber just did to the human mind, Dave, where you were not going to be able to have autonomy or authority over what information goes into your brain if you have the nanotechnology in your body. Well, and that, that came out in 2011? January the 11th, yeah, January. 2011. Now, in this timeline, it goes all the way up to December 28, 2021. Okay, so we're breaking this down from 2002 all the way to, you know, like, yeah. like last week. So text things. in 40509, text the word CLAY, C-L-A-Y for the graphic. Yeah, CLAY, I want to hit something real quick because we get so caught up. When I say we, I mean, like, literally, Stacy and I, people on the show, in, in like, it's, I grew up in this world, it was like, you know, Rocky versus the Russian fighting. It was like, it was like territorial right. lines of nations. You turn on the TV, you watch the Olympics. It's us versus a nation. We're now in a world where medical communities, there's individuals that have greater wealth than many countries mm-hmm. that, that are pushing these right. agendas. This is not necessarily as much of a, of a geopolitical national war in the seen or the unseen. This is a battle. If you're watching this, you need to track, guys. This is right. a battle between the seen and the unseen. There's a demonic force involved, and there's a physical, yep. tangible human force involved that has more to do with allegiances in the demonic realm than it does allegiances to a nation. Mm-hmm. Now, so what I'm going to do, I could not agree with you more, and I will say this for anybody out there again. I apologize for any technical issues we may experience on today's show. There's urgency behind this message. I need everybody to take notes on this. Okay, it's very, very important for you to get this because um, it's hard to fight back if you don't understand the attack. Okay, so 2011, Jeffrey Epstein. Okay, Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, he then teams up. He said Jeffrey Epstein, 2011. He says, "I want to create my own race of people." What? Yeah. Jeffrey what? Epstein said out loud to his colleagues, "I want to create my own race of people," and he reached out to Bill Gates to make it happen. If you click here on the timeline, you can read it in the timeline, your PDF. You can go to timetopreamerica.com forward slash revelation. You can see even the Rolling Stone report. I'm just quoting the actual Rolling Stone article here. Rolling Stone says, Jeffrey Epstein hopes to seed human race with his own DNA. There's a little Jeffrey's running around. Yeah, that's I mean, crazy. this is a real the human race. So two thousand. That, that's why you said – so now it, puts, it makes sense for people who know about Epstein. They go, why did he have um, birthing stations? Why did he have systematic rape going on? Why would okay? 
2013, international celebrities, including Bill Gates, Lady Gaga, Beyonce, and Jay-Z, began to seek the satanic spiritual advice of Marina Abramovich. The Daily Mail reported this, and we're going to, this is be July 2013. It says, not too ghoulish, Lady Gaga singer is nonchalant as she eats fake blood off woman's naked body at art show. What? Okay, we continue. 2015, Harvard, Charles Lieber, who's now, by the way, he's been convicted. Okay, he was arrested and convicted. He creates a patent for using 5G radiation to vibrate coronavirus particles from preset nanotube containers. Please understand, ladies and gentlemen, I am not in the phone industry, but you know Dave Scarlett from his glory he yep. was. Mm-hmm. And he and many other people can tell you this. There was a big push to get the 5G towers up during the lockdown. Oh, no doubt about it. We heard that yeah. from so many people, and now you see them everywhere. Like every, 5G, every <laughs> everywhere. Why do we need a 5G tower at every exit? And they're very big. They're very massive. I put the patent so people can read the patent. Let me just read this nefarious patent for these actual injectable nanotechnology. It says preset invention generally relates to nanoscale wires and or injectable devices. In some embodiments, the preset in- invention is directed to electronic devices that can be injected or inserted into soft matter, such as biological tissue. Ladies and gentlemen, that technology is inside the COVID-19 vaccine. We continue 2015. The founder of the World Economic, Klaus Schwab, sits down with Charlie Rose during an interview. Now, again, I'm not attacking anybody out there, including myself, who has made this statement in the past, because I've made this statement in the past, and a lot of your listeners have too. We have felt like that Satan is accelerating his plan. And I'm not saying it to some degree he's not. But what I'm saying is these guys sat down and said, in the year 2002, we are going to unleash this on the world in 2020. So we are seeing that it could be accelerating part, some parts of the plan. When I, so this is Charles. It's people who listened are just now hearing it again for the first time. This is in 2015, okay? 2015, Charlie Rose sits down with Klaus Schwab and says, what is this fourth industrial revolution you're talking about? What, what is the Great Reset? You're, you're talking a lot about it. What is it? What is this thing you have planned for 2020? This is what he said. And you look at things like artificial intelligence and robots. You look at yep. things like um, gene editing. Exactly. You know, opening a whole new horizon for medical science. And you see, the significance of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you. If you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example, it's you who are changing. And of course, this has a big impact on your idea. He just said the difference of the fourth industrial revolution is it changes you, you through gene editing. Now, Dave, I want to ask you a question because you're, you're a guy. Um, you're, I, I think, man, we all need to apologize to women out there. Uh, maybe not you, Dave. But I, I need to. Uh, a lot of men out there, we, we know other men bear we didn't know a man picks. Dave, I'm sure you met somebody in college or high school that had no moral standards. You ever met a guy like that? Oh, yeah, all the time. You, you, you've actually met a man, though, in your past. He has no moral standards. Have you, have you met someone like this that doesn't care? Absolutely. Okay, I remember I was in college at ORU, Oral Roberts University, and my chaplain used to say, guys, does anyone need a prayer request? And I'm not kidding. There were guys on my floor at college that would put their hand up and go, this week we plan on going to the casino to, uh, uh, you know, basically we're going to do a wet, 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 wet wedding crashing, so we'd like to uh, ask for forgiveness. And the chaplain would say, it hasn't happened yet. It's not, tonight's Monday, the event is Saturday. You mean last week? They go, no, no, we're going to do it. We're just wanting you to know 
<laughs> and they thought it was hilarious, but that was their deal. They would crash weddings every weekend. Call them the in, shots. In advance, they would ask for forgiveness, and the, the chapel used to go, you can't do that. The idea is you're repenting, you're sincerely sorry. And they go, oh, no, we'll be sorry, but just not now. Wow. And there's people like that that operate. And at college, it's kind of funny. College is kind of like the animal house. You know, like we all have a John Belushi in our life. But I'm telling you, there are people. So these people in advance told you, told us what they're going to do. They said, 2020, we're going to do it. Here we go. So February 12th, it's accelerated. It's acceleration of knowledge. Now, 2016, Peter Daschik, the head of the Eco Alliance, reported. He said this. And I, it's on the NIH website still. Peter Daschik said, we need to increase public understanding of the need for medical countermeasures, such as a pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media, and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get the real issues. Investors will respond if they see enough profit at the end of the process. I put a link at timeforfreeamerica.com. It's it's still on the NIH website. So now you go to 2019. Dr. Fauci, he uses your tax dollars to fund the risky Wuhan laboratory. And it wasn't risky for him to do it. He knew what they were going to do. They were going to do gain-of-function research there to go ahead and release a bioweapon on America. And I'm reading from the from the Newsweek article. It says, many scientists have criticized gain-of-function research, which involves manipulating viruses. When you saw that target, you needed what you value most, like healthy groups and brands that lift our community. Yeah. At Target, the things that matter are always within reach. What we value most shouldn't. We look back now at the year in politics. 2021 started with a deadly January 6th Capitol riot. Lawmakers, including the vice president, ducking for cover as we all watch it unfold. That day marking one of the most divisive periods in recent history. ABC's Mary Alice Parks has the story. As violent rioters rammed past security and broke into the U.S. Capitol, Congressman Dan Kildee was right there in the House gallery, both balconies over the House floor. This was one of the most traumatic things I've been through. And then we could hear noise, the sound of a crowd. At the main lectern, the sergeant-at-arms told them the Capitol had been breached. Still, Kildee could not fathom so many were inside and that their lives were in danger. What in the hell is going on? Why isn't this, you know, why isn't this being put down more quickly? How could this happen? Right. And it's, obviously, it still bothers me. And that place felt like untouchable. Yeah. I mean, the safest place you can imagine. With the mob closing in, the congressman tried to take cover. I called my wife, and as soon as I heard her voice, it just hit me that I was having that phone call, you know, that you hear about. Phone call from the building that's about to collapse or from the airplane that's going down. Worried about his wife watching it all on TV, Kildee lied. He told her that he was okay, but moments later, this. Nobody ever thinks there's going to be one gunshot and no more. I figured, well, this is it. This is going to just be a, a, a shootout of some kind. Kildee laid low on the floor, remembering visiting those very balconies as a teenager. His first introduction to Capitol Hill, now he wondered if it would be his last view, too. I grew up loving this institution, wanting to be a part of it, finally getting here, feeling this incredible honor every time I walk into it. And then to have people who 
are also Americans who not only don't feel that, who desecrated the place, who tried to literally tried to tear it and what it stands for. Um, that hurts me even now. Kilby tells me that he has changed and that the Capitol has changed. He says he lost respect for many of his Republican colleagues who told lies about election fraud and objected to fair election results. He says he plans to be back on January 6th this year because the most important thing last year was that they came back and certified the results. And we finished our work over the objections of a majority of one of the two political parties in this country. If, if they had had their way, we would not have certified that election. The insurrection would have succeeded. Five people died that day. More than 150 officers were injured, many hospitalized, seriously wounded, unable to return to work for months. Marlins Boothin remembers finally calling his mom to tell her that they were safe. He has worked for Congressman Jerry Connolly for four years. Did you think for a second about just leaving, being done with this place? No. Um, I think leadership is important. That day, he was huddled here with his colleagues for hours. What do you want people to remember about that day as they come up on the anniversary? That it shouldn't be normalized. The United States is a pillar of democracy for a reason. Um, so to attack our democracy and for the world to see that, it's, you know, it did damage to our reputation, and we have to build that back. But I think when I wake up on January 6, 2022, I'm going to think about the purpose that I have doing this job. For Good Morning America, Mary Alice Park, ABC News, Washington. Yeah, Good Morning America. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. 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 All right. Here we go. All right. Well, first of all, if you're a politician and you're sitting, you have an office in that building and you're standing there, why do you have to be worried? Why would you be worried? Why are so, you know what I would be worried about? Why so many people are outside my office door angry? That's what I would be worried about there, wouldn't you? I mean, if I have all these people that are very unhappy, and here I am, I'm in charge of something, and all these people are very angry. That's a job I'm doing. I think I would kind of address that, wouldn't you? And besides, let's explain something here. Um, it's not an insurrection. It wasn't a breach. And number three, guess what? You are criminals. You are criminals. You people are criminals. You are. And the people were upset. Am I condoning what happened on January 6th? I'm not condoning anything. I wasn't there. You know what? Do I think that things need to be changed? Yes. But I'm going to tell you right now, the current system we have doesn't allow you to do it. It's a corrupt bankrupted system. I've seen that here, and I'm glad so far in my life I've been able to live it again. I lived it when I was younger, and I saw the corruption. But now I really see it here in North Carolina. I've been through the courts on certain issues, and I can see the corruption, the double-talk standards, the lies, the nonsense, and the bullcrap. And I see when they want to go after somebody, they can. Government doesn't have that tool or that authority. We, the people, are the government, not you. But we understand the tyranny, and we understand what's happening now. And I don't think anybody's going to wake up and rise up and do anything. I really don't. I think we're lost. We're gone. We're sick. We're demented. Ah. 
a small percentage maybe one day. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. All I could do is just probably the, the, the life we're leaving our children. I mean, we should be ashamed of ourselves. We should. We just argue with each other over nonsense. We can't come together. We're, we're in our comfort zones. None of us are going to band together. I just we're we're gonna watch everything collapse and crumble, and all you could do is hold out in your little pockets and just pray you don't get singled out because Calvary's not coming down from the hill to save you. I mean, I just don't know what to say. I mean, the World War Two is not going to replay itself out either. Okay, seventeen seventy six isn't either. We've tried for the last twenty years. It was our wake up call, and we just haven't done it. We haven't. We're not coming together. But to that politician there, I'd like to give you a message here. This is a message to you. Communication came in from a sniper. It's 
just you think about what the fuck you're doing to our goddamn country. Now, a message from the Sons of Liberty concerning the New World Order. You're fucked. Everybody, pause here for about 10 seconds. A year after the attack on the Capitol. January 6th said Donald Trump sent us, and they believe the election was stolen. Correspondent A.C. Thompson investigates how these violent groups have become part of the political landscape. We definitely are the modern militia. We're the ones crazy enough to actually do something. And examines where the movement may be headed. Many months have passed now, and we're starting to see organizing again in very dangerous ways. So the movement flips on. It does flip on. Now on Frontline, in collaboration with ProPublica and UC Berkeley's investigative reporting program, American Insurrection. I would hope for the sake of this democracy, this never happens again in the United States of America. This program contains mature content, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Your discretion is advised. January 7th, 2021. Washington streets are quiet, tense. Soldiers stand watch around the perimeter of the U.S. Capitol. Inside, the halls are deserted. New members of Congress should be settling into their offices, but instead, furniture is stacked in doorways. It's hard to believe that just yesterday, these halls were flooded with pro-Trump rioters, and that today, Four people are dead. This is how the Trump presidency ends. It's shocking, yet there had also been warning signs. I wonder what form will these violent energies take now? To find an answer, I feel like I have to go back to the beginning. The Trump presidency ended with an insurrection at the Capitol. For me, it began here, in Charlottesville, Virginia, waiting on a darkened campus for the torches to arrive. I've been reporting on the rise in hate crimes and America's resurgent white supremacist movement, and that led me here. A rally was called Unite the Right. White supremacists out in the open, unafraid, and soon, violent. The next morning, I followed a group of clergy to the rally. The white supremacists were returning, and counter-protesters were arriving to challenge them. The white supremacists came prepared to fight bringing guns and knives and bats and shields. They attacked people who tried to block their path, leaving them bloodied on the pavement. The violence kept escalating. 
while the police looked on. Just want to let you know it's been all kinds of crazy violence over here. Pepper spray, people beating each other with sticks. We're trying to figure out if uh, the police are going to intervene to stop that or if it's just going to keep going on. Well, we've all got different assignments to try to maintain some sort of order here. Alongside the neo-Nazis and white nationalists were militias and members of a group we would all come to know, the Proud Boys. Its current leader was there that day. I had never seen white supremacists gather in such large numbers. But looking back now, Charlottesville feels almost like a prelude of what was to come. Anger, hatred, bloodshed. A neo-Nazi, James Alex Field, slammed his car into the crowd, injuring dozens and killing 32-year-old Heather Heyer. I always wondered, was she afraid? Did she see him coming? <laughs> Dear God, I would love to have my daughter back. For you, what does justice for Heather look like? I don't know. Nothing's going to bring Heather back. Those of us who miss her, miss her forever. James Alex Fields is the person who's been prosecuted for Heather's murder. In your mind, is he the only person who should be held accountable? No. It's the people from 35 states to come in to fight. That's absolutely absurd. And what we doing here? But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. At the time, Trump had only been president for seven months. But his response set the tone for the next three years. And many on the far right took his words as a sign of support. Wait a minute. I'm not finished. I'm not finished, Nick. That was a horrible day. I watched this very closely, much more closely than you people watched it. And you had... Uh, you, you had a group on one side that was bad, and you had a group on the other side that was also very violent. And nobody wants to say that, but I'll say it right now. James Fields was eventually sentenced to life in prison. But in the immediate aftermath of Charlottesville, only a handful of others were arrested. I kept asking law enforcement what was going on. I got your message uh, saying that basically we should look at the Facebook and Twitter posts you put out, but we have questions that go beyond that. Had everyone else just blended back into society? Like I said, I'm just trying to figure out how many, how many folks have been prosecuted uh, and how many cases might still be in the pipeline. So we began trying to locate the people ourselves. There were a couple guys in these few shots that I, we weren't able to identify. I wonder who he is. He looks like he's part of Graham. For oh, yeah. Over the next year, we tracked down some of the most violent individuals in Charlottesville. Right hand? Taped up? Yeah. And then definitely the guy in Charlottesville has at least one hand taped up. Right hand. Right hand. I wonder if it's left hand as well. My colleagues and I matched our footage with images from far-right rallies across the country. We gained access to encrypted chat logs and developed sources inside extremist networks. 
are reporting letters to groups that have been in Charlottesville, including the Rise Above Movement, or RAM, a white power fight club. They'd also been linked to multiple attacks in California. I wanted to talk to you about what you were doing in Charlottesville last year. Sorry, I don't know anything about that, man. But you were there. You're on camera. You're on photos. No, I, I think you got the wrong. Hey, do Northrop and UCLA know you're involved with the Rise of Mud movement? No, man. Michael Masalis was a RAM member we'd seen punching a protester in the face in Charlottesville. But Masalis was more than just a street fighter. He had a government security clearance and worked for the defense contractor Northrop Grumman. As we looked further, we found other white supremacists and neo-Nazis with ties to the military, some of them on active duty. It was a problem that would continue to grow in the coming years, despite calls to root it out. The president has to be very clear about the unacceptability of uh, these any extremists, including these white supremacist extremists, acquiring the best military training in the world. Keith Ellison, then a congressman from Minnesota, had seen our reporting and wrote to the Pentagon demanding it take action. Since we wrote that letter, we have been in a verbal contact with the military that they're responding to our letter. We expect to have it soon, but we have not yet seen it. We've identified seven members of one neo-Nazi group who are current or former military. What, what do you make of that? Well, I think that they have decided this is a strategic uh, initiative for them. They, they, they want their people to go into the military. There's a real legitimate fear here, and I think that we've got to be vigilant about it. The DOD eventually told Ellison it had investigated the people we'd ID'd and had fired or disciplined 18 service members. I think one thing we can do is to shine a light on this, because when we get some light on it, then somebody somewhere is going to say, okay, this needs to become a priority. And so that's what we're going to do. A year after Charlottesville, the spotlight was on. We are here today to announce the arrest of four members of the militant white supremacist group known as the Rise Above Movement. The FBI arrested more people who'd been at Unite the Right, including Michael Maselis, who lost his job at Northrop Grumman and spent about a year in prison. It felt like our reporting had helped to expose some of the most dangerous figures in the white supremacist scene. I began receiving death threats, even as the group splintered, changed their names, and were hit with lawsuits. But one group did continue to take to the streets, participating in rallies in Portland, Oregon, the Proud Boys. They had black and Latino members and wanted to distance themselves from the white supremacist movement. They seemed mostly interested in drinking, fighting, and supporting Trump. So what's your deal, man? Why are you, why are you here? I'm here to stand up for freedom. They faced off against members of Antifa. They've got one ideology over, over there, and these guys have a freedom-loving ideology. What, what do you think the ideology is over there? What do you what mean? They claim they were defending the U.S. from some sort of communist takeover, and they wore shirts celebrating Pinochet, the Chilean fascist dictator. Tell me about your T-shirt. What, what, what are you saying here? What do you mean by that? You're down for fascism. Is that, is that what you're saying? Some wore patches that said RWDS, right-wing death squad. Fights broke out sporadically, 
If that march in Portland would be the last I'd see of the Proud Boys for a while, I was drawn away to other stories. There was the attack on the Tree of Life Synagogue in October 2018. Pete see me helped me understand Ram and the other groups in Charlottesville, and he's continued to track the white supremacist movement. I just interviewed uh, a guy named Brian James. Have you ever come across this guy? Oh, sure. Yeah, he was, uh, especially during his time as the Vinlers, he was a big name on the radar, and, you know, really associated with a lot of violence. The Vinlers, Vinlers in general were known to be a very volatile, violent group that, um, you know, they had a guy whose nickname was The Butcher, and uh, so, I mean, this is, this is the guy with murder tattooed on his throat. Yeah, right, right. So, I mean, they, there was a number of very violent incidents they were involved in. Simi says that while the Proud Boys may have worked hard to push into the mainstream, many still subscribe to extremist beliefs. So this is, you know, a t-shirt in reference to the mass slaughter of Jewish people during the Holocaust. Um, it stands for six million wasn't enough. You know, their, their view is not to deny the Holocaust, but to say the Holocaust didn't go far enough. And so he's flying Proud Boys colors and these clearly neo-Nazi ideas here. You know, we get fixated on all these different groups out there. And, in, and from my perspective, I think it's more helpful to think about this as a broad worldview. The Proud Boys are led by Enrique Cario. He's this guy who is a Cuban-American man of color. Um, what's going on with that, do you think? If you look at, for instance, the history of the uh, racist skinhead movement in the United States, any number of different racist skinhead crews across the country, they wouldn't be exclusively white necessarily. You have, um, you know, the, the capacity for people of, of various different backgrounds to embrace fascism as an ideology, as a worldview. And, and I think in many respects, that's what we're dealing with here is a broad fascist movement. I will fight to protect you. I am your president of law and order. In the summer of 2020, I watched as President Trump rallied that movement in response to the protest after the killing of George Floyd. Our nation has been gripped by professional anarchists, violent mobs, arsonists, looters, criminals, rioters, Antifa, and others. The Proud Boys heard President Trump's rhetoric as a call to action. They joined other right-wing vigilantes in attacking the protesters. The unrest had become a focal point of Trump's re-election campaign. If Biden gets in, they will have won. They will have taken over your cities. These are not acts of peaceful protest, but really domestic terror. One incident in particular would be blamed on Antifa and would become a target of the president's rage. A drive-by shooting in May at the Oakland Federal Building. A federal officer in California was shot and killed. The destruction of innocent life and the spilling of innocent blood is an offense to humanity. You don't think that we have been under attack from domestic terrorists. Let me show you a picture of one victim. This is Patrick Underwood. Department of the shooting was nothing like the street violence I'd been seeing, and I started looking into it. I went to see Officer Underwood's sister. Literally, as I think about him, I think about him lying on the concrete, shot and alone, and the concrete is cold. I, um, it's, it's, it's been horrific for us, uh, and at the same time,
a time that feels like you're constantly, you know, reliving it over and over again. So there's, uh, it's hard to say that we've had closure because we haven't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and actually, I don't know if we ever will. That's the tough part. How did you get the news? I received a phone call at approximately maybe four, three or four o'clock in the morning. His uh, fiance Stacy said, Angela, pass and shot, pass and shot. And um, after that, I'm not quite sure what happened because I don't know. I, I, I can't remember if the screaming was, was from me or if it was from her. And it was just a bit hazy, a bit foggy, because you go completely to a state of denial. Are you sure it can't be? What do you mean? You go through all of those things trying to find some type of logic. Yeah, yeah so as you can see, there still remains on like the actual. Three. Yeah, there's, about, there's actually one right here as well. Right. But if you actually look on the wall back, yeah. there are more bullet marks. What was the kind of weapon that he was using? It's fully automatic, uh, and as you can see from the bullet remains that are both on this guard post and slightly behind it on the wall. But why? The police are the guard dogs, you know, ready to attack whenever the, uh, the owner says, hey, uh, you know, second boy. The first interview with Steven Carrillo was 20 minutes long. And that second one lasted for an hour and a half. So you've spoken to him for almost two hours. Yeah. Gisela Perez de Aches, one of our reporting partners at UC Berkeley. Creo spoke to her from jail where he's awaiting trial. She is the only journalist to have interviewed him. The police is, it's the government's strong arm, basically. Before he was captured, Creo wrote messages in his own blood, including a single word that would be the key to all the chaos. And what the boogaloo is, is a revolution, a revolutionary thought. Creo told Perez de Acha that he was part of a movement called the Boogaloo Boys. The Boogaloo Movement, it's about people that love freedom, liberty, and they're unhappy with the level of control that the government takes over our lives. Being free to do what you want as long as you don't hurt anyone else. Aren't you accused of hurting someone? Oh, that's, yeah, that's what I'm accused of. But, uh, going to take. In footage from April 30th, you can see six of the alleged kidnapping plotters. One is visible with a Boogaloo-style Hawaiian shirt and an AR-15 at the front of the protesters. The Wolverine Watchman founder, Pete Musico, is in the footage, too calling the legislators traitors. Musico and his son-in-law pleaded not guilty to charges related to the kidnapping plot. I find property records in Jackson for a parcel of land in Musico's name. He was being held in the Jackson County Jail. His home may be empty, but I decide to take a look. Hey, how you doing? No comment. 
Hey, we would love to get in touch with Pete and Joseph. I saw what they've been saying to. Yeah, that's why I can't comment because they have put out so much misinformation. That, that's what we want to figure out what what really happened, you know. And I saw I saw what Pete was saying in court and what his attorney said, and we would love to talk to his attorney. And, and you know, I'm real interested in what what really happened. A lot of people are. Crystal Musico is nervous, but eager to speak about the FBI raid and the arrest of her husband. Like they separated us all and question us each one. It was always about politics. About politics and Google. We won't have anything to do with politics anymore. There won't be anything. If you want to vote, vote. Great, vote. I hope it does you some good because it ain't done us nothing but give us heartache. Pete was at the, the rallies at the Capitol, right? Mm-hmm. And why do you think he went out there? To protest. Did you go? Did you? I did go to one. once. I went to one. Did, did Pete bring arms when he went to the protest? Yes. Why did he do that? Because he has that right. But what I see in the law enforcement bulletins and what I see in the court charges are Boogaloo movement is about violently overthrowing the government, starting a civil war, and killing cops. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's fairly shocking. It is shocking. It's shocking to hear all that. But it's also shocking to know that a cop is legally allowed to stand on your neck and kill you. It is shocking that that's allowed and people are okay with that. Because I'm not, but I ain't doing nothing about it. And you think it was in part a response to concerns about police abuse and about I police. Think a, I think it's a response to a lot of concerns more than just the police. What, are, what else? The way the country is going. This is all in the Bible. You can believe it or not, I don't care. Your faith is not mine to judge and mine's not yours to judge. But you think this would, are we at the end of day? Yeah, I do believe so. I think we're on the third day. We just rose on the third day. during the Iraq War. 
groups like the Oath Keepers and the Three Percenters. But they've never been accused of anything like the terror attributed to the Boogaloo and Wolverine Watchmen. I'm told about a location where the Watchmen allegedly trained and prepared for the kidnapping operation. The camp is deserted. Its training course with spray-painted human targets is littered with spent shells. According to federal prosecutors, the watchman blew up a homemade bomb here. Neighbors tell me they heard the blast a half mile away. The bomb was allegedly built by the man prosecutors describe as one of the plot's masterminds, Barry Croft. Croft is being held in the Michigan jail. In FBI recordings, he claimed he had been granted permission from God to commit murder. I try to contact him through his lawyer, but get nowhere. And then I get an email. Croft wants to talk. Good morning, sir. How are you? Even though my attorney told me not to speak to you, I felt it necessary to clear my name. Somebody's got to say something contrary to what the federal propagated mainstream media is putting out there. That's why I came to you. Is there anything you can say about the Wolverine Watchmen? You know, I'm very unfamiliar with their uh, quote-unquote militia. Um, I wasn't a member. I was only tied in by satellite individuals. Croft is pleading not guilty. And he won't talk about anything specifically related to the kidnapping plot. But in addition to his ties to the Watchmen, the FBI says he's a leader of the Three Percenters, a national network of militia groups. If you look under the militia statute, every able-bodied American male, 17 to 45, is considered in the unorganized militia. The militia is absolutely necessary to the security of a free state. I saw an interview with you, and you were wearing a Hawaiian shirt with your tricorn hat. <laughs> what do you yeah. think of the Boogaloo movement? I got a kick out of those kids because even though, you know, you might find some Boogaloo boys that are over here, some are over there, at least they're paying attention. They're young, they're motivated. And they're militant. Um, yeah, they're militant. And I, I got a kick out of those kids. They, you know, the one out of Virginia, Mike Dunn, you know, you, you look at him and he's an inspiration. Did you ever meet Mike Dunn? Did you ever talk to him online? I talked to him on the phone once or twice before they, uh, before they came and wrapped me up. Mike Dunn. Before his arrest, Barry Croft had been in contact with the Boogaloo leader I'd seen at the rally in Richmond. Dunn is just 20 years old. He joined the Marines out of high school, but says he was medically discharged with a heart condition. And he leads one of the most visible Boogaloo chapters in the country. Dunn lives in rural Virginia. We definitely are the modern militia. We're the ones crazy enough to actually do something. I think that a lot of people, especially on the right, Republicans, uh, realized that it was no longer a America of liberty. I think a lot of people woke up to that in these past four years. So the, the Trump presidency is eroding people's faith in the government further. I wouldn't say that 
he's necessarily helped erode it further. I think he's just helped spotlight it further. I believe a lot of people are already skeptical. Um, and then I think there are some that saw the president of the United States being skeptical and said, maybe we should too. Is this a movement that's hierarchical? Are there commanders? Are there leaders? How does it work? There are boogaloo cells within the movement. We have a fire team, you know, four people, five people, six people, whatever. Um, and those teams have a leader that they answer to generally. As far as a leader for the movement itself, um, no, there's not a leader. You're sketching out a decentralized network where you Basically. have different nodes on that network that may have a leader, may have a commander and a structure, but overall there's no overarching no. general who's calling the shots. No, there's not. What do you think of these guys in Michigan who are allegedly targeting the governor? I feel that uh, they, uh, they did what should happen across the United States in a lot of places. Uh, they were going to take a stand against what they perceived to be tyranny. Did you interact with those guys in Michigan? Yeah, I did interact with a couple. Online or in person? Online. What about Steve Carrillo, the guy from California? Steve Carrillo, yeah. You, you talked to him? Yeah, a, a lot of people uh, in the movement knew who Steve was. So you messaged with him? I'm not going to comment. Or, but you, you saw him online? I knew who he was. You knew who he yeah. was? What did you think when he got arrested? I'm sure he had a reason for targeting who he targeted, and so be it. I don't buy a lot of Dunn's claims, but listening to him is unsettling. It's clear that many in the movement are connected, and they seem to be growing more radical with each new arrest. What? There's been a bunch of arrests. Yes, there has been. Last month. All hot. You worried about those guys? I think that a lot of them will take care of themselves while they're in, and uh, when they get out, we'll welcome them with open arms, um, or we have a revolution and, and we free them. When things pop off, we're going to be liberating them first. Are you worried that more people are going to get wrapped up? Yeah, more than likely. So I just hope they go out shooting, killing the ones who come to enforce unconstitutional law. So be it. We're past the point of peace. Damn right. I think about a revolution against the government. I do believe it's inevitable. With tensions high, Washington, D.C. boards up as if the election was a hurricane headed for the city. A Trump victory could further embolden the far-right movements that see him as a champion. A defeat could further radicalize them. Throughout the year, the president had been whipping up fears that the election would be stolen. And as the night wears on, with no concession speech, no declared winner, the moment seems full of danger. The next morning, with the nation on edge, I sit down with Mary McCord, a former counterterrorism official at the U.S. Justice Department. Obviously, as of last night and even this morning, there's a fair bit of uncertainty in terms of the ballot counting. We're in a tenuous situation and waiting to see how the right-wing organizations will react. And if Biden is declared the winner, then I certainly have some concerns that those on the right who think maybe this is the result of fraud or a rigged election, particularly if the president is saying so, will take more aggressive action along the lines of what we saw earlier this year in um, opposition to, for, for example, governor's stay-at-home orders. McCord tracks extremist groups and was instrumental in suing the militias who'd shown up in Charlottesville. Under this presidency, the far-right unlawful militias have felt much more licensed to publicly engage, um, gets given them a real opportunity 
And, and they've said this from the beginning. Trump supporters. It was the kind of crowd that would turn out again and again to support Trump's efforts to overturn the election. As night falls, Proud Boys merge with MAGA marchers and roam the city looking for fights. Trump supporters confront journalists, vandalize Black Lives Matter signs, and fight with activists who try to stop them. A month later, Trump supporters take to the streets of Washington again, and once again, the protests turn violent. And then, he calls his supporters to the Capitol on January 6th. We're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. You'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength, and you have to be strong. Tell the police officer that I needed to stay in my office. Now, the former police officer, my instinct is to get more information and participate. But these group of officers urged me to stay in my office. Carson served in a police anti-terrorism unit in Indiana. In Congress, he's a member of the House Intelligence Committee. I can remember when I first served on the Intelligence Committee, there were leaders in the FBI under the Obama administration who very arrogantly and self-righteously talked about how they were going to defend our country against these terrorist attacks so-called Muslim attacks. But when it comes to white supremacists, the FBI is too silent. It has to change. It has to change. Much more work needs to be done. Hey, Mike. Are you there? Oh, yeah, man. How are you? All right, man. It's a, it's a great day in D.C. It's a great time for our nation as well. I reached Mike Dunn later. He says he hadn't been at the Capitol riot. But I want to find out what he's thinking. So in your mind, what changed for the, the Boogaloo movement on Wednesday? We realized that, that we're a lot closer to a revolution. Our recruiting and interest went completely through the roof as well. They're beginning to understand that the only answer is revolution. Proud boys didn't wear yellow and black. The Boogs are not wearing Hawaiian shirts. Do you think we're in like a kind of new phase of the struggle? I think that people are learning and adapting. I think we're definitely looking at armed insurrection. Any of us in this movement, myself and a lot of other young people like me, have come to grips with the fact that um, death is a reality. It's coming. Um, we just want ours to count. Washington goes on lockdown. The National Guard patrols the streets. Law enforcement agencies across the country spring into action. After Charlottesville, it took months for the FBI to build a handful of cases. But within weeks, there have been more than 130 arrests. I searched the list of names. Many of the individuals charged are affiliated with groups I've been tracking. But even more of them have no apparent ties to extremist groups at all. Two weeks after January 6th, 
Boogaloo Boys stage rallies around the country. In Michigan, they returned to the state capitol. And I recognized Boogaloo Boys who took part in the siege here back in April. In Virginia, Mike Dunn marches again. All we do repeatedly is get tread off. Well, today we're not getting tread off. This might be the last time he leads Boogaloo Boys in public. After this rally, he changes his phone number and vanishes from social media. In our last conversation, he tells me that the struggle is entering a new phase and he needs to disappear. The Proud Boys are here too, but their numbers are small. After the Capitol siege and Proud Boys getting arrested for that, for breaching the Capitol, there were dozens of Proud Boys there who were helping to orchestrate and breach. Do you want an insurrection to overturn the election? Do you want a patriotic party that's put America first? You guys were never looking for trouble in D.C. or anywhere. We don't look for no problems at all. In the months that follow, the number of people arrested climbs to more than 700. Some Proud Boys face potential sentences of years behind bars. And just like after Charlottesville, groups splinter, turn on each other, and fade from the front lines. In Washington, D.C., the fences are gone. So are the National Guard patrols. The city no longer feels like a war zone. But when I come back to the Capitol, almost a year later, there are many questions that remain unanswered. We cannot allow what happened on January 6th to ever happen again. We owe it to the American people, and we will not fail, I assure you, in that responsibility. The House of Representatives has impaneled a committee to investigate January 6th and to recommend changes that will prevent something like that from happening again. Representative Benny Thompson is the committee chair. January 6th. Uh, was a difficult day for me personally because I was in the Capitol. I've seen a lot of people come to this Capitol. Uh, people have uh, the ability, I thought, in Washington, D.C., to express themselves regardless of position. But if I ever imagined that somebody would invade the United States Capitol, never in my wildest dreams, did I imagine that would occur? Despite what all had occurred, we were called back in the early morning hours to complete the certification. Because if we don't certify the election, then Donald Trump is still president. Mm. And he can do a number of things. Martial law is a, a, a potential. Uh, it could have been something looking like a coup. Absolutely. You get people who I talk to on a daily basis who actually tell me that what I saw and experienced on January 6th really didn't happen. People come to you and they say, oh. January 6th didn't happen. Yeah, it, it, it said, look, uh, it was the Black Lives uh, Matter folk. It was Antifa uh, dressed up as Trump people who did that. Or, in addition to that, you have those millions of folks who are out there who are convinced that 
Those individuals who broke into the United States Capitol, they were some of the greatest patriots. Right, right. Yes. They, they, these are heroes. That's right. They feel people like you are the enemy. Absolutely. And that's why our mission on this committee is so important. Thompson's committee has subpoenaed members of Trump's inner circle and interviewed hundreds of witnesses, including some D.C. and Capitol Police officers. The fence came down and still nothing has changed. If a hitman is hired and he kills somebody, not only does the hitman go to jail, but the person who hired them does. There was an attack carried out on January 6th, and a hitman sent them. I want you to get to the bottom of that. Those windows up there, those were some of the first windows that were smashed. That door, they were able to breach that door. Um, the, the big one up the steps. Up the, yeah, up the steps right there. Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn walks me through what happened that day. I was on the other side of the Capitol. Once I cleared like this tree line right here, I was just looking out, and I just couldn't believe what I saw. There were flashbangs going off. There were smoke grenades going off. Um, from your side or from the other side? Both. From both. I've never seen anything like that before. My number one thought was just to survive that day, just to survive. At that time, we had no clue what was going on. We were fighting for our lives. We are fighting for democracy. And how was this going to end? Because like, we were hours and hours and hours. It's got to end somehow. How was it going to end? And did you think, like, it might end with these guys overrunning this yes. place? Yeah, it crossed my mind. So I was interviewing recently uh, an elected public official. He was here. He said, I think maybe that was an Antifa event. It was meant to make Republicans and Trump supporters, MAGA people look bad. It is so that they stole this country. It's gone. It's wiped out. America is over. It's destroyed now. The arrests after January 6th may have quieted the movement for a time, but it would turn out to be short-lived. In rallies across the country, I see momentum building around overturning the 2020 election. The crowds include fewer of the characters and groups I've been tracking. I see more and more mainstream Americans. According to polling data, around two-thirds of Republicans have come to believe that the 2020 elections were stolen. About a third say violence may be necessary to save the country. I go back to talk to Mary McCord. What do you think has happened to those organized groups now? The Proud Boys, the Boogaloo Boys, the militias. Uh, like, where are they at in terms of strength at this point? Well, within days, literally days, they started finger pointing. Some dissolved. Some reconstituted themselves. You know, I think the three percenters said, we are no longer. And you had all these three percenters national saying, okay, we need to find another group. Um, and they also started, you know, making up other disinformation, like this was all an Antifa plot. This was a law enforcement plot. But, you know, Americans have really short memory, and time has passed. Many months have passed now, and we're starting to see, at least in the social media and online forums, you know, uh, organizing again in very dangerous ways. So the, the movement lives on. It does live on. And, and you know, in a way... It's harder to for law enforcement to deal with when it's so disparate like that, right? You know, a dozen individuals going to a 
a local school board meeting in a rural county without a big police force, that's harder to protect against than the capital, right? The capital will not suffer an insurrection like that again. Where do you see the threats coming from at this point and, and into the future? What keeps you up at night? Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a lot of the threats I still see coming from disinformation, uh, getting into our political discourse. Um, and particularly as we come into another election year, what I'm really seeing is all, you know, the seeds are just being planted already of fraud rampant throughout our election systems. Polling on this issue is pretty chilling. There are tens of millions of Americans that absolutely believe that the 2020 election was a fraud. And a lot of them have said, I'm willing to use violence to change things. First of all, it's astounding to see that data. Um, and, I, and I tell myself sometimes that surely there's something wrong about this in that data collection and that some of that is hyperbolic, right? All of that said, you know, we know that gun purchases were up dramatically over 2020. We've seen more and more armed individuals coming out to government proceedings, whether it's the counting of the vote after the elections, whether it's public health meetings, you know, school board meetings, um, the willingness to be threatening government officials and even threatening them with arms is, um, you know, is something that really needs to be addressed because that could just uh, snowball. A year later, the country is still living in the shadow of January 6th. The trail that began for me in Charlottesville has taken another turn. Along the way, I've seen up close the peril posed by a resurgent white supremacist movement, armed militias pledging to execute police and elected officials, ultra-nationalists brawling in the streets, would-be revolutionaries wearing Hawaiian shirts, and now this, millions of people, convinced that the 2020 election was a fraud, some of them angry enough to turn to violence. Charlottesville on January 6th had once seemed like bookends to an era. But today it's clear. The movements I've been covering have been changing, evolving. But they are not going away. All right, everybody. Hang on, Pat, get through here. Okay, well, here we are, you know. Uh, you see how the narrative is of the media mainstream and... Uh, you know, people that believe in the Constitution and they that were they're terrorists and uh, bad people, and they play that narrative. Be careful. Look, the the seasons will come. It, it was everyone thought in the '90s. You know, that when they grew up, you know, the foothold of the militia movement, it, it would fix things. And we see what's going on now. We see what the government's doing. We see, and it's not the government. When we say government, we say new world order, the elite, the people out there. It's about control, and these people that have control, it's a natural state of being. It always wants more and more and more. Whether it's evil, you want to call it evil, what do you want to call it, God, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's an evolution of want control. Man always wants to have control over a fellow man, and, and it's, it's a natural state of affairs, and revolution – is the only way to clean it up. And, and and the Founding Fathers said that, and that's why I say that. Jefferson said that. The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. Okay? So why did they say that? And why did he say, 
whatever you get. One woman said, well, uh, what did you give us? We gave you a republic if you can keep it. You heard what they said in the video. I think that counted uh, 14 times they said it. Democracy. We're not a democracy. We're not a democracy. We are a republic. Why do they say that? Democracy, democracy, democracy. Because the narrative rules over the minority. We're not a democracy. We are a republic. A republic. Okay? We're not a democracy. When someone says democracy, they either are ignorant and they don't know what they're talking about, or they made a mistake, or they are your enemy. And those freedom-loving people out there, and then those who have vanished behind the scenes, those who are just waiting, and those who are just sitting back, look, there's going to come a time that really is not going to be played out on the TV screen. The revolution will not be televised. It's going to be bad against good. And you're going to have to choose freedom. But the bottom line is that I don't see an awakening happening anymore. I think that the chances have been lost. I think we got to repeat pre with Trump. I don't really like Trump all that much. I mean, I support I support him as president and a lot of things he did. He did a lot of great things for America. I mean, but he wasn't a true patriot. That's for sure. He doesn't come from that background. He's not. He doesn't. You know, he's a rich guy. He, he flip flop Democrat. You know, he, he look at his family members. They're part of the new world order. You know, um, <clears throat> and Trump had a choice, but he took Kushner's advice and he sold out. And He's, I don't think he'll run again. I don't think I, I was hearing that he was, but now I'm hearing he's not. I don't know. Now I'm hearing that things are going to be changing here in a few weeks. I don't know. I'm not going to go into details about that, but I hear that some big things are going to be happening here pretty soon. So if I were everybody, I would tend to your families, bunker down, try to have as many, you know, keep the close friends that you have close by, and don't go out and break the law. Stay away out of the way of these people. And stand down and just sit and watch and observe. And then the natural flow of things will come and things will change and revolution could happen. It's been happening throughout the history of this planet, the earth, okay, governments and whatnot. But, again, it's about control. They're doing it with the COVID thing. Numbers of the COVID, listen, 4 million, 5 million people tops died worldwide from this COVID thing. For God's sake, more people have died from the flu. You know, I mean, I mean, and what happens to the flu? You know, so the numbers, so it's a lie. Doing it to control us, to control you because they have a greater, they got the Russian army on standby to go to war in Ukraine to create this, this uh, a big conflict. They know what they're doing. The bankers know. The people that control the money, they want to kill off the population of the planet to have a manageable control. We all know that. If you don't know that, then you're a fool. They're not out to save anybody. They will. They're going to, to kill you off. They want to kill you off. They want 500 million. Okay, that's what they want. They don't want to. They're not going to give you life and all this technology and great things that are make you live better and stronger. For God's sake, you could buy a freaking tree bark in Africa, chew on it, and that's your toothbrush right there, and your teeth will grow back and and uh, and be healed, be healed, be healed. You know, I mean, uh, there's all kinds of cures out there. There's things that these people don't know. I mean, you know, there's so much stuff. But the, these companies, they keep it from you, the corporations. Money, greed, corporate power. The Bill Gates out there, the Rothschilds, or, you know. And I get where they're coming from, but who do they talk to? Do they really talk to Satan? I don't know. I'll tell you what, I've seen some of those mock sacrifices that they do. And I'm surely they can't be evil. I mean, surely they can't be good. They must be evil. So... 
deep down inside, you know what's good, and you know that the goodness of the people out there is going away quickly. And you can't trust too many people out there. So we're in a time that are perilous, and you have to decide what is good. I don't care what your God is or what you believe or whatnot, but the fact of the matter is, if you're doing the right thing and trying to be doing the right thing and living you know, the right way, then things wouldn't be the way they are right now. So we must be doing something wrong. So we have to change that about us. We have to change the way we live and how we perceive life and how we interact with it every single day. And it's hard. I know it is because I feed into it too. And that's the flesh. That's us. We're just humans. We make mistakes. But let's try not to shed any bloodshed and try not to uh, go to war with each other and try to restore liberty and freedom. We all have the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And we just have to. We have, And I understand there's idiots out there, man. <laughs> I know people don't understand. I Believe me. Sometimes I'm like, these people deserve the new world order. But if we take the time to educate each other and if we're all not so selfish and worried about our own little busy lives and we care about our fellow man and our our neighbor, we won't have this problem. So that's what I'd have to say about that. But uh, God bless the republic, and uh, we'll see how it goes from here. Good night, everybody. Take care.